This episode contains content surrounding addiction and eating disorders, which may be triggering for some. If you or someone you know is in need of support, there are places you can go for help. See the description below for resources. A lot of people talk about discovering your true self. Today, I'm speaking with someone who has recovered her true self. She is an author, an activist, and a very important voice. Her number one New York Times bestseller, Untamed, is a bold declaration that we do not have to squeeze into the box that's been built for us. We do not have to shrink ourselves in order to be valued, loved, or respected. I'm so overwhelmed and excited to welcome Glennon Doyle to 4D with Demi Lovato. Me. That always feels weird to say. She's joining me here in just a minute. Hi, Glennon. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast, 4D with Demi Lovato. It is so nice to see your face and meet you virtually. Oh, me too. I just knew that when I met you, your energy was going to, you're just, you're something. Oh, you are. Thank you. You are. First of all, I I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself, who you are and, and what you believe in, in just a quick little paragraph. Yeah. Go for it. Let's see. A quick paragraph. I mean, <laughs> I think the most important thing about me is that I'm a recovering everything. I became bulimic when I was 10 years old, and that wow. just morphed into every damn other thing. And I didn't get sober till I was 25. Mm-hmm. So I spent most of my formative years just gone to addiction. Right. And I went to my first recovery meeting and I freaked out. I thought, I don't belong here. These people are freaks and I need to leave. And then they started talking. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my God, these are the first honest people I've ever met in my life. This is where they keep the honest people, right? So... I found freedom in those rooms and I decided that the only way that I could live is if I could tell the truth about everything all the time and have no secrets. And so I started writing because writing was a place I could tell the truth. No Mm -hmm. one could boss me. Mm -hmm. And my writing career just took off and I've written three books and then I started a nonprofit called Together Rising um, that serves marginalized women and children all over the world. So that's been my life's work. And then real quick, I was married to a man with three kids and had this perfect little shiny life. And then I accidentally fell in love with a female Olympian named (laughs) Abby Wambach. So that was wild. And then I had spent my whole life kind of being confused about sex and attraction, just trying to like make sex feel like everyone told me it was supposed to feel. Mm -hmm. But most of the time I was just acting and like, I don't know, making the noises that I saw people make on movies. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. And then after I met Abby and fell in love with her, I figured out what all the big deal was about sex. (laughs) Cute. Well, I love that you had your happy ending. Literally. (laughs) Sort of. I mean, you know, there's no happy endings. We're all just like happy-ish. And then each day I find happiness and I also find rage and sadness and all of it. In your book, you talk about how your mother 
witnessed you losing your spark at the age of 10. What were you doing at 10 years old? Like, why did you feel like you had to hide who you were? Were you even conscious that you were hiding a part of yourself? Okay. Here's what I know in retrospect. None of us know anything when we're 10, right? But there are some of us who know as we're going along that we are hiding parts of ourselves, right? But Mm -hmm. it happens to every last one of us. There's only some people like you who consciously figure it out that they're caged over time, right? Mm -hmm. But social conditioning happens to every single one of us, right? So we're born these little wild individual selves, right? We're all emotion. We're all intuition. We're all imagination. When we're a kid, we don't have shame yet. Most of us have a few good years of childhood. And then from the ages of 8 to 12 we start to internalize our formal conditioning. So that means, Demi, that like you might be um, loud and wild and opinionated, but over time you learn, oh, I'm a girl. Girls are supposed to be accommodating. Girls are supposed to be... Someone tells me I'm a girl and I start performing girl, right? Right. Oh, I have this wild faith that's kind of weird and funky. And No, no, you're a Christian. This is what you you believe. This is what you believe, right? I'm straight. Like I have to be straight. I'm raised in a Christian. So that now I hide. Right. Same. Oh my God. You're speaking to the choir. Like that's, that was literally my life. I grew up in, in the church too. I, I was the type of 12, 13 year old that was at church three times a week from the joy of my own heart. You know, like I loved being there. And so I also just always like wanted to work on myself. Like even at a young age, I knew that going to to church would make me feel better and I dealt with depression. And so I just thought maybe this is the way and it's hard when you have someone saying this is the way and you're not doing it right even though it feels authentic and true to you. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize at the time that like there was parts of me that I was hiding like you were saying like it became clear and when I look back it's like it's, it's looking at my best friend at 13 and wanting to kiss her, but not telling her. The reason why I cut my hair was because of me identifying as non-binary now. Also, me shedding those gender norms that were placed on me as a child in the South. Demi. <laughs> so this surprises me about you. Not at all. Okay. Watching you cut your hair in that documentary, Abby and I, we've been Mm -hmm. watching you. We're watching your journey. We're like, Mm -hmm. of course, of course. (laughs) The deeper you go inside of yourself and the more work you do inside of yourself, you learn or you, you discover that gender, gender is a freaking performance. Uh, Yeah. It's a performance. And there are people, young, you know, trans kids, non-binary kids who figure out early that they don't want to perform anymore. I know. And that's so beautiful to witness. I remember my little sister had a friend that was in her talent show. She was like 13, maybe. And her friend had come out to the rest of the school Mm -hmm. and performed Born This Way and threw glitters, (laughs) glitter down the aisle and walking through the audience of the talent show. And I just, I heard that story and that gives me faith Mm -hmm. uh, for the future. That gives me faith that this world is going to be a safer and more inviting environment for different types of people. And and I, I agree with you. It's a performance. I feel like it's also, I feel like it's just another boundary 
mm-hmm. that separates us from one another and also separates humanity from divine wisdom. Because mm. if we were able to see each other as a whole and, and recognize our individuality and what we can all bring to the table, but embrace one another and say, oh, you're different. You can help teach me things and I can help teach you things because I'm different to you. Like, that's the world I want to live in, you know? Absolutely. And I think that the idea of gender not only separates us from each other, but it separates us from parts of ourselves. Mm. We end up living divided because if I'm only allowed to perform this half, because human characteristics are not gendered, right? It's just permission Mm -hmm. to express certain characteristics is gendered. Mm-hmm. So if I only have permission to express these half of, of characteristics because I'm girl or I'm mm-hmm. boy, mm-hmm. it actually separates us from the wholeness of ourselves. Yes, right? absolutely. My son, Demi, came out to us last year. Oh, great. The first thing we did was have a kitchen dance party to Born This Way. So I just had to tell you that <laughs> in response to your story, our yes. whole family, we brought the strobe light down and had a big dance celebration. Oh my gosh, that's so great. I love that. We do have two children who are straight, but we, <laughs> we love them anyway, Jenny. We are going to support them. God doesn't make mistakes. We'll be with them through right. everything. We love and them we'll, anyway. we're here for them. Right. <laughs> we love them anyway. Oh my God, I love you. <laughs> Sometimes I have a hard time focusing on reading. So what I did was I listened to your book on Audible and it was so um, empowering and liberating. And I just, I knew that when I had this podcast, you were one of the first people that I wanted to have on here because of how much it impacted me, but also your courage and your bravery. I mean, I think so many women, you know, look at you and see you living your truth and think, wow, if she can do it, I can too. And I was in a hetero relationship with an engaged to a man. And I thought that was the rest of my life. And then, and then I realized it wasn't what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's why I related so much to your book. Your life took a different course than you thought it would. Mine did too. Mm-hmm. And we're happier for it. Yeah. You know, like that's the coolest part. I feel freer. Yes. Okay? Yes. I feel freer. I get scared about the word happy because mm. I'm a clinically depressed motivational speaker. Okay. So, well, like, <laughs> so like, first of all, if I can be that, anyone can be any. Yo, story of my life. Right? Right? Right. <laughs> but like, I get scared of claiming the word happy because mm-hmm. I am happy a, a few times a day. Right. right. But what I do feel, you know, I remember somebody saying to me early on in recovery, I was so scared when I first quit drinking and drugging and binging Mm -hmm. all the things at once. So that's a good time because I was really miserable in the Mm -hmm. beginning. And Mm -hmm. I thought I had been telling myself for 15 years, if I quit, I'll feel better. That'll be the answer. So then when I quit everything, I was terrified because I was still so miserable. I was more miserable than ever Mm -hmm. because I I just kept thinking, oh, this is why I started drinking in the first place. Right. Being human is terrible. Right. That's when I figured out, oh, booze and, and food and drugs were not my problem. They were my right. ineffective solutions to my problem. Yes. <laughs> yes. My problems are anxiety, depression, and this ridiculous situation I'm in, which is being human, which is a ridiculous situation for all of us. It's so difficult. 
And I said all of this at one point and some woman sat down next to me and she said, here's the deal. The reason why you're miserable right now is not because you're doing life wrong. It's because you're finally doing it right. Mm -hmm. And it's all surfacing. Yes. And you're not numbing all of it out for the first time. You're showing up for life on its own terms. So if there's any secret of life, it's that being human is not about feeling happy. It's about feeling everything. I think like that was such a foreign concept to me that I remember like seven years ago or eight years ago, I had a conversation with someone and I said, look, being happy is just not in the cards for me. Mm. Like I'm always going to have some form of addiction, some form of mental illness, depression, anxiety, whatever it is. I'm just always going to want to check out. Now that we're able to feel everything, we can actually feel happy too. Yes. It's like, it's not that I'm happy all the time. It's like, I'm content. Mm -hmm. And that's cool because it allows me to feel happy at times. But also, I get to feel fear. I get to feel yes. sadness. I get to feel anger when I'm upset. And those are things that I also never felt when I finally like started to feel. <laughs> it's the most terrifying place. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. It's so scary. Yes. <laughs> I love I'm so it. I'm excited for you that you're scared of scary things now. Yeah, yay. And you're happy at happy things and sad at sad things. You're yes. feeling it all. You're alive. Yes. So that's what we are. And what that looks like for me too is fluidity. Life is fluid. And that's why, you know, I keep talking about how important it is to live your fullest authentic truth because – all I can say is right now, this is what I identify as. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's going to be in a year or 10 years from now. And I'm going to be open to it. And when I do that, that brings me joy inside that no one else can take away from me. Mm. And that's life. That's the only promise we can make. I've, I've, I tried to so hard to figure out, Demi, what I was. I used to sit down with Abby at the dinner table and say, we are not getting up until we figure out what I am. I would, <laughs> I would take BuzzFeed quizzes. Like, you might no. be straight. You might be... Like... I didn't, I didn't oh. know. I couldn't land. I couldn't right. land. And then I figured out not identifying as a thing is a thing. It's not about where you land. It's where you learn to fly. Mm -hmm. And because we are so taught to land on a certain identity for ourselves, we don't embrace the fact that we're ever-changing, ever-evolving people. And the things we want, the things we need, they change over time. Mm -hmm. So... How are we supposed to predict that we're going to stick into one identity for the rest of our lives? That doesn't make sense. All I know about my life is that I keep changing. And I feel like that's what we're supposed to be doing down here. We're supposed to be constantly yeah. evolving, right? If I'm the same today as I was five years ago, I'm going to be mad at myself. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I am, I am, I am. And I'm not going to add anything after that. Oh, that's so beautiful. Because that's also saying I'm not placing unrealistic expectations on myself. More like expectations are disappointments waiting to happen. That's something that I've heard time and time again. And God, is it true? It's so true. And all of these things that we're talking about, gender, sexuality, faith, all of these things were meant to be fluid. These are, yes. these are wild, beautiful, unexplainable forces that are ever changing. Mm -hmm. And as human beings, we don't like that. Right. We don't like things we can't explain, right? Right. Control. All of these things are meant to be 
um, ever-changing. I think they're energies. They're not categories. And when we turn them into cages, then all we want to do is bust out of them. Yeah, because we feel imprisoned. Right. Speaking of Im- imprisonment, I just, I wanted to talk about your recovery a little bit because I know how trapped it can make you feel when you're mm-hmm. stuck and especially with food. Oh, God. I think that was my primary issue my entire life and um, drugs helped me cope with my food issues. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I found freedom in my eating disorder that I started to find freedom in the rest of my life. I don't know. I just didn't have that voice in my head at every meal, at every time I look in the mirror. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about your journey and if you can explain to us how you found recovery through your struggles and what that looks like for you today. Thank you for asking. So I um, was really severely bulimic um, from 10 years old on. I actually was hospitalized my senior year in high school. Um, and they didn't have really good eating disorder clinics back then. I'm old. I'm 45 now. So you are I not was actually put. <laughs> Thanks, Demi. Thank <laughs> you. So I was put into an actual real mental hospital. And um, and then I still didn't get better. I was sick in there too. I pretended mm-hmm. that it was all better and I left. And I was in all kinds of therapy afterwards. It got worse in college. Um, I quit binging and purging when I was 25, when I found out that I was pregnant with my son, Mm. who is now 18. Mm. So what I would tell you about my eating disorder journey is that I am so, I feel so deeply grateful to hear you say that you have found food freedom. I feel like there are times in my life where I have found food freedom, Mm -hmm. but for me, eating disorders I'm not better. (laughs) I'm better. I'm better. Like if you look at me and how I am doing the things right. Yes. Not throwing up. I'm eating appropriate amounts. But my head is a minefield. Mm. I am a fierce feminist. I'm out there all the time, you know, shouting about how women should be able to take up space. And I have untamed myself from these ideas about women being small and ambition and Dreams or locked up and, like right, a tiger. Right. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that this bullshit patriarchal message that girls get from such a young age that we have to stay small, right? That we are not mm-hmm. allowed to indulge our hunger. That we have to be um, smaller and smaller and smaller in body. And so quiet. ingrained itself in me that mm-hmm. it's the hardest one for me to let go of. And I still have times in my life where, I mean, I call it getting weird, where I get weird. And it's usually when things are, are out of control in my life. And so I start mm-hmm. controlling food again. And during those times, I would tell you, Demi, that probably 50% of my thoughts all day are about food and working out. And that pisses me off. It's embarrassing as a feminist who's supposed to have more shit together than I do. And also, it's infuriating because that's the opportunity cost that these cultural messages that's what we pay. We pay with our lives and our thoughts. Like when I think about the art that I could have created if I had that 50% of those right. thoughts back, right? So wow. it's an ongoing thing. And, you know, I believe when I look at your work and, and especially that documentary, so much of your life, what I've seen is between, you know, love and control. Yes. Like, am I going to trust yes. myself and love myself? Yeah. Or am I going to control all yeah. of it? And you can't do both. 
Yeah. Because you have to control your body or love your body. But you can't do both because love requires trust. Mm. Right? And if you're just control, oh, I got to control the food. I got to control the food. I got to protect myself from myself. That means that you do not love yourself because you right. don't trust your body to have wisdom to know when it's hungry, to know how big it's supposed to get, to let it yeah. be what it is. So that's what I'm going for. I'm sure I'll have it figured out by next Tuesday. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Actually, it reminds me of, I went to an eating disorder um, treatment center. Um, this was a couple years ago in Utah. I went to two different treatment centers at once, um, one for substances and then was going to an eating disorder facility on the side because of, you know, just mm-hmm. all know. of the above right here. Just I thought, know. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so she told me, she said, I, I do this exercise with my clients where I ask them, like, imagine if you're in the ocean, you're in the ocean, you're trying to stay afloat. Raise your hand if you want to lose weight. And so most all of them, unfortunately, raise their hand. She said, okay, now raise your hand if you're wanting to do something about it. You're willing to put yourself at harm for these behaviors. Mm. She said, if you lift both hands, you're going to drown. You can't swim anymore. In the ocean, you need two arms to stay afloat. It's okay to still sometimes want to look a certain way. We just have to remind ourselves that like, that's our conditioning, that's our programming, that's our societal beliefs pushed Mm -hmm. upon us by the patriarchy. We're human and you and I are going to struggle with food sometimes. Like this weekend, rough weekend, not the best weekend for my eating disorder. But the week before that, ate food and didn't think about Mm. it. And I have days where like, like you said, you have happy moments and you have days where you're content and then something happens and you find it really hard to eat one day, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, I've been in recovery from my eating stuff for about two years now. I'm like, two years doesn't sound like a lot, but it's like, damn, I should have this figured out. You know, I have this documentary. (laughs) I talk about it. Like, how am I not healed? And it's like, the reality is you're never going to be fully healed or recovered from this. It's not real. We are all thinking that's real. And then we're having our human experience inside ourselves, which is not that. So then yeah. we think there's something wrong with us. Right. I want to take a second between you and I to share with whoever's watching this that may suffer with bulimia to let them know that like we acknowledge that it may never go away fully, but we also acknowledge that there's faith and hope for the person that's dealing with it to be able to live a life that's worthy of living outside of the imprisonment of their eating disorder. That was so beautiful. Thank you. Exactly, exactly right. I think that's just important to share for whoever needs that little message of encouragement. And I want to say congratulations on your podcast, We Can Do Hard Things with Cadence 13. Can you tell us a little bit about that too? Yeah, We Can Do Hard Things is the phrase that saved my life 20 years ago. I saw it on a wall when I was teaching and it just, I used to say it to myself during sobriety, early sobriety. But my friend Allison started doing these hard things walks with her friends during COVID where each of them would just bring a hard thing and they would talk about it and they would just walk and walk and walk. And what she realized was that they were getting closer before COVID. They just got together and talked about bullshit. Like they Mm -hmm. wasted their time together. They didn't talk about the true, real hard things that were going on in their lives. And so while COVID sucked, the desperation of that time 
made them trust each other more and share their hard things with each other. So we just decided, my sister and I, let's keep that part going. That's the plan on the podcast. There's been so much of my life that's changed since COVID. I am very privileged. I acknowledge that I had it pretty easy and and I did lose a few people last year, which was really difficult. So I, I know what it's like to to be dealing with the grief of this last year. But I also, you know, I also acknowledge that like, it could have been so much worse. I do have to also remain grateful for the things that it brought us and taught us. So there's this idea that keeps spinning in my head about COVID. I had, when I was little, I had this snow globe and I was, I loved it, but I was scared to death of it. It was so cool. Cause you'd shake it up and it was all snowy and beautiful. But then when the snow settled, it was terrifying because there was this red dragon in the middle that I thought was like the scariest thing. So I would walk into my room and just like, keep it shaking up, keep it shaking up, wow. keep it shaking up, keep it shaking up, right? And I feel like COVID was like a forced settling of our snow globes, right? Like we mm-hmm. as human beings will do whatever it takes to keep our snow globes shaken up with all the busyness and the booze and the food and the snark and the shopping and whatever sex whatever it is because when the snow settles there's always a dragon at the center (laughs) wow there's always a dragon that's why we don't want to be still with ourselves because there's some truth there about our lives our relationships or our world i mean i think the settling of the snow globe is why we had the racial reckoning during COVID because the racial reckoning which has just begun i hope began with the murder of george floyd But what was different about that? Nothing. We've had police killings and police brutality forever. What was different about that moment is that we were all stuck in our houses. Yes. Yes. The snow was settled. So we had to look at it again and again. We couldn't shake back up and forget about it, which made us look at the dragon at the center of Mm -hmm. our country, which has Mm -hmm. always been systematic racism. So Mm -hmm. I guess the idea of this is like, what dragons have we seen in our lives during COVID? And what do we do about them next, right? So this is the the idea of we can do hard things. We're just going to talk about the hard things and not go back to the small talk bullshit. I wanted to move on and talk to you about what led you to your new love, Abby, mm-hmm. and how you guys met, how you fell in love. What was it like when you realized you were falling in love with a woman um, yeah. Oh God. Let's talk Abby. Give me the tea. Yes, let's do it. Okay. So here's the deal. I don't even know if you know this part, but the night I met Abby, I was on the road, the first event promoting my last memoir called Love Warrior, which was yes. about, Demi, the redemption of my marriage. Okay. <laughs> yes. That's so great. The universe was like, <laughs> really, bitch? Okay. So Oprah had picked it as her book club pick. It was all over the place. And the tagline was an epic marriage redemption story. So I, my job now was to go around the the country Mm. talking about how my marriage was saved from infidelity, by the way, PS, my husband told me he was unfaithful to me throughout my whole marriage, Mm -hmm. bad day, moving on. So I'm on the road about to go do this thing. I'm at this table full of writers. Mm -hmm. This 
nerdy little table full of writers, Demi. It was just like all these writers releasing books out into the world. And we look over at the door and there's this woman standing in the door. And she was like 12 feet tall and she had like a shaved head with this like platinum hair, this like long trench coat. She was like really cool and... You might have no- noticed, but cool is not my thing. I'm like Aww. really warm. I'm like very warm and sweaty. I think you're like the coolest. Cool is not my jam. So she she looked like a kind of like a man and a woman and like neither one. And just, it was just the moment. And everybody was silent because this was a little room full wow. of writers. So it was like the Mockingjay has just landed at our like nerdy book party. Okay. We were wow, all so confused. Cool. And then here's what happens. So my special gift is that there's no awkward moment that I can't make more awkward. That's my gift to the world. So I found myself standing up in the middle of the room and throwing open my arms wide while the rest of the room stopped and stared at me. I'm like, oh my God, everyone's staring at me now. And I'm like coming to consciousness and I realize I'm standing up. And now I have to get back to my chair because everyone's staring at me. So I just bowed. No! I thought, yeah. And so that's like our family joke now. When someone walks into the room, everyone like bows because I just thought maybe she'll think I'm a weird writer who bows when people walk into the room. Oh my God. The deal is that I just felt this thing that I had never felt before, mm-hmm. which at the moment I thought was some like... Disney love at first sight shit, but now I just think was like true desire. For oh, the first time, I think wow. I would have like true desire. Mm. And that night, we just had like 10 minutes together. Like we had 10 minutes together in a room full of writers, but there was some kind of soul connection that led us over the next six months to completely dismantle our entire lives to be together. And we didn't even see each other again during those six months. She had to go to Paris and I had to go back to Florida. We never were in a room together. We never even touched until after we had both dismantled our whole lives to be together. And by the way, I had never even kissed a girl. I had no freaking clue what was going on (laughs) in my life, okay? But I just, it was one of the most important lessons of my life because... I realized that in order to find a love that felt like it belonged to me, that made me feel comfortable in my own skin, that made me feel like it was mine, I had to go outside of every single expectation that other people had given me. Including yourself. Exactly. Because Mm -hmm. it's like life just gives you a menu and it's like, here, you can be this, you can be this, or you can be that. But sometimes in order to find your life, you have to go completely off the menu that they gave you. Mm -hmm. Right? So that is how I found everything. We have a family now. You know, we're divorced. We have a blended family. We have Craig and Abby and I are all co-parenting together. And it's weird and different and exactly right for us. Right? We had to go outside of expectations to find a family that fit us. I feel the same way about faith. Mm -hmm. I had to lose my religion completely to find (laughs) So did I. So did I. That's really interesting. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. Yeah. What What does your faith look like to you now? And what was it growing up? So I was raised Catholic and then found myself somehow in one of these churches where you go in and then they're wearing like jeans and playing guitar. So you think they're like cool and progressive, but yeah. then you get inside and actually they like just want more guns and less gays. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Yes. Like, I, I just got like totally bamboozled. Like, I don't know what happened. 
So it's like the face of it looks progressive and then the actual of it is like, oh yeah. my God. So yeah. I, I feel really frustrated about religion because I have a deep faith. Mm-hmm. Wow. I think that faith and religion are two completely different things. For yes, me. absolutely. Right? Just not even even in the same realm, mm-hmm. right? My wife was raised Catholic and she knew she was queer from a very, very early age. And she was told over and over again that she was an abomination, that God mm-hmm. did not love her, right? And that she would have to choose between God and herself, right? And so... She would tell you that she chose herself and turned away from God because that was the binary choice she was given, right? right? So what I believe actually happens when when a kid or an adult chooses their truest self is that they are choosing God, right? That the deepest, truest, freest version of ourselves is God. And so sometimes we have to turn away from religion in order to keep God. I don't know why I want to like start sobbing right now, but like the tears are like welling up in my eyes. I feel like you're nailing it exactly on the head for so many people. So many people need to hear that. It's like God lies within us. That's right. We can't beat ourselves up for what's already true to us. One thing that I will really accredit the rooms to is the idea of God changed for me when I got to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous because they taught me you can make your God what you want them to be. Mm-hmm. God is a woman. You know what I'm saying? That's my God. And, <laughs> and, and when I had that idea, I was like, wow, I never feel judged by that God. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it it can be about creating what God means to you and less about what religion is trying to force you to be. Yeah, I think the most important part of 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 being able really to keep a faith was separating it separating it completely, completely from religion. religion. Absolutely. Oh, wow. You really just took me to church. I'm not even kidding. Like, I feel like I had more church in this conversation than I have in six months of going to a church. You know what I'm saying? It's but just, that's what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, what you're doing is you are having deeply human conversations where people are allowed to bring their full selves to the mm-hmm. table. Yes. Whether that full self changes tomorrow. It's this idea that all throughout history, we have created communities where people have to either choose their individuality or choose belonging. Right. And if you choose belonging, then you have to give up your individuality. You have to pretend to believe what they believe. You have to act like they act. You have to, right? And so what if we could create spaces, places like what you're doing where people can be both held and free Yeah. to keep changing, Mm. to keep being their true selves? I think I see that in what you're doing. And I think it's really beautiful because there's so much freedom there and there's so much love there. Yes. And I also think that when you choose individuality, you end up belonging to other people who chose individuality as well. And that's like my my queer family Mm, is... Nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Mm -mm. There's, There's a love and support 
that I can't express. And I'm so grateful to be queer and a part of the community because I found a safetyness in that that I've never felt my entire life. If you could see yourself without the boundaries of space and time at a higher frequency, what does that look like for you? I feel like I am always in either a fear place, which is control, or a love place, Mm -hmm. right? And when I'm in this love place, it just has to do with trust, with trusting that my body knows that there's a path, that my family's got me, that my friends have got me, that I will be okay, and that I don't even know what that okay means. And it probably isn't what I've defined as okay, Mm -hmm. right? But that if I, if the dimension is a river, if the fourth dimension is a river, then what I know is all I can do to survive and have any peace in this life is just to let go and just let it take me and never to hold on too tight to the yeah. riverbanks. That's when I get Go in with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. Fluid. Fluidity. Fluid. Fluidity. That's, that. that's where I keep that's coming back That's the dimension. To. And it's interesting also, too, that we have been taught so much to chase stability. Mm. When stability is stagnant and it doesn't allow any room for growth. And it's right. like fluidity is what I've learned to appreciate in my life more than anything. And it's funny that you know, we can be taught as a society that stability is what we're chasing, but fluidity is where the freedom comes. Yeah. I mean, the only problem with chasing stability is that it's not a thing. It's not real. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, that's, like, that's, that's, that's also a thing. <laughs> so good luck. True, like, true. There's no solid ground. Can you tell me what, like, untamed is to you in four words? Freedom to be you... Now, is that five words? I'm so <laughs> a words five. person, not a math person. So let's see. Freedom to be you now. So here's the deal. I don't let people be the boss of me, so I'm doing five words. Okay, great. You know what? You know what? Just for you, we're going to 5D. Today it's 5D. <laughs> this has been a presentation of OBB Sound, SB Projects, and Cadence 13. 4D with Demi Lovato is hosted and executive produced by me, Demi Lovato. Executive produced by Michael D. Ratner, Scott Ratner, Elias Tanner, Scooter Braun, Scott Manson, James Shen, Jen McDaniels, Scott Marcus, Chris Corcoran. Produced by Grace Delia. Associate produced by Caitlin Plummer. Chloe Borenstein-Lowey. Edited by S.R. Meredith. Danielle Billiou. Ryan Dayhoff. Mixed and mastered by Chris Basil. Production support from Arlen Konopaki, Kia Rigabi, Paige Himson, Sean Cherry, Serena Reagan. Cadence 13 is an Odyssey company. This has been a presentation of OBB Sound, SB Projects, and Cadence 13. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes available now on Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. For information and resources about eating disorders, call the NIDA hotline at 1-800-931-2237. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, visit samhsa.gov for free information and support.